1: Todd Churches, welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. Todd, thank you, Tom. Thank you. I want to thank you. Thank you for t- participating. And I'm excited about today because the book, your book, I've read once, went through it quick, picked out what I wanted to. And now I'm reading a chapter a day, and I'm getting so much out of it. It's ridiculous.
2: That's great to hear. Thank you. It's it's, it's written to be uh, digested in bite sized pieces. So uh, sometimes people say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I haven't finished your book yet." I'm like, "Don't worry about it." It's like take your time. It's uh, each chapter is three to five pages, a visual, and some thought questions at the end. And it's meant to be, you know, done done in that way. So I love that you're doing that.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to talk about the format of the book because. For many of us, it's the ideal way of learning. So, But let me introduce you to the audience, Todd. Uh, Todd Church is the CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball, an innovative New York City-based management consulting firm specializing in leadership, development, and executive coaching. He is also a three-time award-winning adjunct professor Of leadership at NYU and a lecturer on leadership at Columbia University. Todd is a member of the prestigious Marshall Goldsmith MG100 Coaches. That's big, folks. Mm. A a TED speaker and author of Visual Leadership Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life. And it's published in 2020 by Post Hill Press, Simon Schuster. And I am reading this book and enjoying it and sharing it with my groups, um, well-written. And I, Todd, you keep me in stitches. I read these chapters, and you throw you <laughs> in that church's story, your father, and these stories. And, I, and I'm and i just laughing my ass off. So
2: oh, That's nice, too. There's very few business books that make people laugh out loud, so that was one of my goals when I was writing it.
1: Oh, it was very, very good. So... Um, So anyways, I'm happy that you're here because I do want to talk about your book. Normally, uh, this airing is usually business owners to businesses, but because you're a coach and you work with executives and in your book, uh, what I love the most is that you're always learning when you read it. Even though I've been in practice 51 years Mm -hmm. and I consider myself a very good leader, but I also, as I read the stuff that you bring out there using visualization, uh, it's it's a relearning. It's just I'm enjoying it so much. And I know anybody who is uh, running a business, running a, a group, whatever it might be, if you read it, you'll just get the aha moment. So mm-hmm. I'd okay. like to get into it.
2: Sure. I can't wait to hear what most resonated with you because that's always interesting and fun for me. Cause sometimes there are certain chapters that everyone points out, like this model is really impactful. But other times people will pick, like, you know, a quirky chapter or one that, you know, may not be one of the you know central ones, but that one story really resonated with them. So it's always a kick for me to hear uh what personally impacted people.
1: Yeah, and I will talk about that. I'm gonna make a note because I did list this morning uh what areas that I enjoy the most so far. So, so Todd, let's tell everybody a little bit about your background, what's going on.
2: Sure, um, my background in a nutshell, which is a metaphor, we'll be talking about metaphors shortly. Um, I talk about it in my TEDx talk, my dream when I was a kid, people would say, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And I'd say, I wanna be Superman. And I used to fly around the house wearing my mother's dish towel. Um, and uh, But people would say, oh, what if you can't be Superman? You need a backup plan. So I'd say, all right, then Batman. So those were my two visions of the future as a five-year-old. So um, I always wanted to be a superhero. And someone said to me, one of my clients said, in a way you are a superhero because you're a rescuer of people's businesses and, they're, and, and uh, as a coach, and uh, you don't have um, x-ray vision like Superman did, but you have visual thinking as your superpower. And you, Batman had his utility belt and I have my tool belt of uh, coaching tools. So in some ways, I uh, have fulfilled that dream of being a Superman and Batman and, and help people to be uh, more successful in their lives. So, um, But I did want to work in the TV industry, and everything I did from a teenager was geared towards eventually working in the TV industry someday. So I got my bachelor's degree in English literature, uh, my master's degree in communication. My first job out of college was at Ogilvy and Mather Advertising in New York. Um, working in the media division, which was a good experience, not really what I wanted to do because it wasn't creative. It was more of a numbers job and I'm not a numbers person. But for one year, it was a great uh, life and job experience. And then I took my one week of vacation and visited my college roommate out in LA. He had moved out there and I saw the Hollywood sign. I said, I got to give this a shot. So I packed up and I uh, flew out to uh, Hollywood and um, I took a lot of par- number of part-time jobs just to survive. And I was a bouncer in a nightclub, believe it or not. Um, and I worked in- for Michael Nesmith of The Monkees. That was my very first job. And uh, baby boomers know who he is. A lot of my millennial yeah. students never heard of him, right? Um, right. And then I, I did an internship at Aaron Spelling during- when they were doing Dynasty. So that was fun and exciting. I'd be sitting at my desk, and Joan Collins or Linda Evans would walk in. So you know, as a kid from Queens. New York, yeah, you know, you're sitting there in a movie studio and TV studio. It was pretty incredible. And then my next job was in casting for Columbia Pictures Television. And then I was in comedy at Disney and then drama at CBS. So those were my years in the TV business. Always as an assistant level, working with people to produce TV shows. And again, amazing experience. But one common theme was I had some of the worst bosses who've ever set foot on this earth in most of those jobs. And that kind of planted the seed for many of the stories in my book. Um, but I'll stop right there. I eventually got a job as a project manager in the theme park business, and then after 10 years in LA, I moved back to New York um, for a variety of personal reasons and professional reasons. But that's my career background up until that point. So, uh, but they formed. A, they gave me a lot of stories to tell these days, and, and in my book and in my classes and workshops.
1: Yeah, and and in the beginning when you talk about your experience with the book, I, one chapter I just was in tears all morning, laughing, <laughs> very, very, very funny. Knowing it was very real, and you, the way you wrote it was really, really great. Mm-hmm.
2: Was that the boss who threw the box of pens up my head?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, very good. Um, and again, I'm laughing, but folks, you got to read the book. He's, he's he's very funny. He's really enjoyable author to read um well, I, have, I,
2: have to, I have to say I, you know I, I have a lot of stories and they're funny now in retrospect but when you're an employee and you're going through and then you're working for an abusive boss you start to question your own sanity you know it's like what's going on here um and i had a series of those like not just the you know the, you see the harvey weinsteins of the world but there were a lot of harriet weinsteins as well so it wasn't just males it was also some crazy female bosses as well but um, that's kind of what drove me into going into management leadership training, consulting and coaching is I started reading all these business books and management books about thinking about there's got to be a better way of managing and leading people than, you know, th- the way I had been managed and lead up until that point in my career.
1: And, you know, it shows because as I read the book, uh, you know, the sandwich about about how to present the... Um, uh, I call it the sandwich, but you know what I'm saying? Feedback, 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 the feedback sandwich. And the way you did that. And again, folks, I'm sorry. It's a a chapter 15, the feedback sandwich. Um, uh, We won't get into that, but it's a (laughs) great, it's a great analysis and visual of how to present um, to an employee or anyone, anyone, uh, an issue, but not sweeten it too much, but don't be too harsh. But uh build it like a sandwich and we'll talk about that in a little while Mm -hmm. but uh, let's use that as an example todd later on and uh, let's talk about big blue gumball
2: sure my company is called big blue gumball and it's a metaphor the big blue gumball is the earth the planet earth the world um it's like a big blue gumball however you want to think about it it's a metaphor and uh our motto is we make training entertaining, so my, it's my brother's my business partner, and we kind of work separately, both under the umbrella of Big Blue Gumball. I, he's, he focuses more on presentation skills, public speaking, with some management training. I focus mainly on management leadership and team development with some presentations and public speaking. Um, but that came out of my years of my first job when I moved back to New York. My father had had open heart surgery. I had gotten laid off from a job. I had just broken up with someone when I was in L.A. So it's just my mother said to me, the universe is telling you to come back to New York. So I packed up, came back to New York, had no idea what I was going to do. And then I saw a job ad. If you Remember the days of cutting out job ads from the New York Times? Yeah, the, yeah, you the know, yeah. you clipped you clip the little ad out. Um, And I saw a job opening at the American Management Association and I applied for a job there. I didn't get the one I applied for, but they said, would you be able to revamp our mini MBA program? And even though I didn't have an MBA, um, I said yes. uh, And they said, you know, Never let people know that you have no idea what you're doing and you'll figure it out. So that's basically what I did. So I was working with all these amazing management leadership trainers to create this program. And I started diving into management leadership books. And I got so hooked on them that I was reading sometimes three or five a week. And that was in 1998. So over the last 22 years, I've read an average of one business book a week. And that adds up to over 1100 and counting as of right now. So um, I'm addicted to business books. And after all those years of reading them and quoting them, people started saying to me, when are you going to write your own? Which was what led me to write my book. But um, but that working for the American Management Association and being around management, leadership training and development and coaching is what eventually led me to, um, I got laid off from there. That was a whole other story. But then I became a Dale Carnegie trainer. I was a big fan of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, the classic from 1936. I found it on my mother's bookshelf when I was a teenager, and I ended up becoming a Dale Carnegie trainer, which was the first time I had ever been in front of the room. I was always a what I call the 3 Bs" guy, a back-of-the-room, behind-the-scenes bookworm, because I'm an extreme introvert, even though I talk loud and fast because I'm from New York. Um, that's me, but until I took a Dale Carnegie course, i never spoke in public before, so that gave me the skills and the confidence to do that. And I eventually got hired by a company called LiquidNet, a uh, Wall Street company with a dot-com type of culture. And they hired me to head up their leadership development, uh, leadership institute, which I did for three years until I got laid off from there when the financial crisis hit. And then that's when I formed my company, Big Blue Gumball. And I've been doing that ever since, since. So that's since 2010.
1: And you work with large companies, correct? I mean, you don't have to name them, but mostly large companies.
2: Yeah, I mean, I work with companies large and small right now, but uh, yeah, from large hedge hedge funds and and global banks to a lot of uh, healthcare, pharmaceutical companies, uh, a little bit in the entertainment industry, but I've also worked with a number of tech startups as well. I love working with founders. You know, when companies are just about going from the infancy to maturity, when they get up to like 50 or 100 people, where you could really impact the culture. Because a lot of times people. Started a company to get promoted and they all of a sudden find themselves as a manager responsible for other people and they have no idea at all how to manage and lead other people. So that's one of my specialties is taking people who are good at what they do, but have never managed or led others before and help them to get up to speed and become uh, not just individual producers and performers, but managers and leaders.
1: It's interesting coming from the insurance industry, they, they were notorious for taking the big producers that did really well, and for some reason thinking that they all wanted to be in management, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm sure that exists today, where you take this talented person and yeah. what they do, and all of a sudden you change their whole job structure, and I'm saying why would you do that? But that's the that was the trend in the insurance business. I don't know if it still exists today, but you reminded me of that that pattern of what of of that type of industry you know
2: yeah i find that it's to be honest it's common in every industry it's like you're the best you're the, our top it person salesperson marketer whatever it is and it's like okay so you're now a manager and leader and you sp- like for example one two of my newest coaching clients for a global bank they were both top performing portfolio managers and they made them heads of you know a division where they had other portfolio managers reporting to them. So here they, you took them away. It's like taking a, 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 you know, you're, you're, top, you're hitting first baseman and saying, you're going to manage the team. It's like, now it's like, you're not, you're only spending half your time playing because you're now managing and coaching others. And your performance is based not just on how you produce, but how the people you're responsible for produce. It's like, you know, we've seen, you know, there's a million examples of great athletes who became managers or coaches who failed because it's a completely different skill set that people are not born with. You need to learn it and develop it.
1: Well, you know, it is interesting because it, it, that happens in life because um, you know sometimes you're skilled at something, but you can't explain why mm-hmm. you do it so well. A- example: I mean, I I ran a, a multi-million dollar practice a- alone with staff, but I really couldn't explain why I was able to to create that kind of. I mean, I knew what I did, and I knew yeah. the activity, but I, I don't know if I could explain it. So. How can I teach what I can't explain to somebody else? But but if I was working for a big company, they would have wanted me to manage, and I would right. have been a terrible
2: manager, right? Yeah, so, well, a lot of time management consultants, even Peter Drucker, who's like probably the father, or grandfather of management consulting, he said he was the worst manager in the world, right? So admittedly, so it's a different skill set, just because you know how to do it doesn't mean you're good at it, right? So um, I think that's the case with a lot of things, and there's that concept called the Peter principle that people rise to the level of their incompetence. You keep getting promoted and promoted until you fail, right? Because you keep getting moved up the ladder until you're not that great to keep moving up and then you hit the wall. So, um, I, but then I think anyone could get better with coaching and training and so many people just kind of wing it and don't read all these business books and they don't try different things. And, um, so that's why, you know, I got into, they say, um, you know, they call it management training and leadership development for a reason, right? You could train someone to be a manager because management is about process. You can't necessarily train someone to be a leader. That's a developmental process that happens over time. And that's more about the person. So that person needs to be have empathy and compassion and good le- listening skills and be inspirational. So I help people become good at both managing and leading.
1: In uh, sports, we would call that being coachable.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly right.
1: So, Todd, um, you, you know, you teach at NYU and at Columbia. Let's talk a little bit about those that.
2: Sure. I was when I was developing that leadership program at LiquidNet, a friend of mine who was teaching at NYU, she introduced me to the head of the HR department. Um, the HR master's program. And she said, we would love to have a course where we teach, because everything we do is business, Harvard case studies and this and that, very academic and theoretical. She said, we would love to have a course in leadership and team building where HR people learn what corporate training looks and feels like. So my course that I created, and I co-teach it with a guy named Jeff Schwartzman, who is a longtime friend and business partner, um, is basically like a corporate leadership training, but taught as a, a master's degree Program so I've been doing that at NYU uh, for 10 years now and I've won three teaching awards which has been really nice um, and I also do faculty development so I train other faculty members how to teach more effectively using my visual thinking techniques which we'll be talking about shortly using visual imagery visual language and because um, the 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 whole. Concept is how do you get people to see what you're saying? So, whatever you do in business or in teaching or in life, you need to get ideas out of your head into someone else's, and that's where the visual thinking. And visual communication component really comes in. And at Columbia, I was teaching at NYU and I would bring in a guest speaker and he was teaching at Columbia and I helped him design his course. And then one semester he couldn't teach it, recommended me. So then I joined the faculty of Columbia as well. So uh, Columbia, I teach in a couple of programs and one of them is the MFA theater program. I teach leadership for Broadway stage managers, which is a fun and creative uh, way to uh, apply leadership.
1: Yeah, that must be, that's a diversion, huh?
2: Yes, yes. Yeah, I get to uh, use my Shakespeare background and some <laughs> sprinkling some show tunes and, and we make it fun. It's been a tough year because of the pandemic because Broadway has been shut down. So um, you still need to keep an interactive experiential. And uh, I've been teaching online for the last year and a half. We'll go back to in-person teaching in the fall. But for the last year and a half, I've been teaching my graduate courses on Zoom. And that's been successful, but was a challenge originally to say, how do I make this an interactive experiential um, learning uh, for students, even though we're not in the same room at the same time. Yeah, yeah.
1: Your ultimate coaching job should be with the Yankees, though. Todd. Uh,
2: I would love that. They've been uh, they're up and down this season, but it's uh, been an exciting <laughs> year.
1: So, uh, you've just published your first book, which I love, and I'm a proponent of visual leadership. Let's talk about that. What sure. is? Well, let's talk about the book and then we'll talk about what that actually is all about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, for years I had been teaching all everyone else's content from all these books I've been reading, but at the same time I would start designing my own models, accumulating my own story. So I started writing everything down. So... Um, One of my friends said to me, you're never going to actually, it was always like someday I'm going to write a book, if I write a book, when I write a book. But he said, until you have a deadline, you're never going to do it. And I was at a leadership conference. I met this guy named Rob Salafia who wrote a book called Leading from Your Best Self. And I said, how did you get your book published? Because it's one thing to Right, It's another thing to get it out there into the world. And he said, well, I had to get an agent. And we talked about the pros and cons of self-publishing versus hybrid versus traditional. And he introduced me to his agent, this guy, Ken Lazad, up in Boston. Um, and uh, he uh, took me on as a client. We, he helped me with my proposal. We pitched it to all the top publishers and then Post Hill Press, Simon Schuster said yes. And I got my book deal. And then I literally had a uh, nine months from signing the contract to getting them a first draft. So all of a sudden it was like one of these days to, okay, September 1st, 2019, you need to get us the first draft manuscript. So I had about 2000, not about, I, had, I counted up 2000 pages worth of content accumulated over the last 10 or 15 years since I first started jotting down ideas. So it wasn't like I sat there looking at a blank screen saying, what should I write? It was literally like I have 15, 20 years, and 2,000 pages of stories, models, examples. And I had to sort through and only about one third of what I had ended up in the book. So I had two thirds was left on the cutting room floor. So the, that content I used for stories and blog posts and potentially a future book. But um, so that's how I got my book published and it just came out in May of 2020. It was so exciting. You know, it's one thing to carry all these ideas around in your head. It's nothing to actually be able to physically hold this book in your hand. And it's full color, hardcover. Um, it's also on Kindle and audiobook as well. Um, so it's, uh, it's it's exciting. It's still a little surreal to actually have this book in my hands and say, you know. Uh, and the feedback has been great. I just passed 1,000 copies sold, which is a nice milestone for a first-time unknown author. So it's well, cool.
1: you packaged it nice. I have to tell you, uh, it's a very nice book. The paper's great. And the funny thing is I, every chapter I mark up and I almost feel guilty marking, because ah. the book and the paper is so well done. Um, and again, uh, I read a lot on the Kindle and stuff, but I do like it in my hand when I, it's yeah. a reference, but you did a great I'll, I'll job. I'll be happy
2: to, I'll be happy to send you a signed free copy. So. Well, I'll
1: t- I'll take that because I want to pass that around too and share it. But yeah, um, I I'm I am a big big fan of your book and your exactly. writing. So let's uh, let's talk about visual leadership, Todd.
2: Sure. Well, the title of the book, if you know this, a lot of people don't. What's interesting is you know, we talk about visual and seeing. My book visual the, the title is visual leadership. It's one shared capital L. So it's visual leadership, one word. And yet people spell it as two separate words because they're not used to seeing it that way. So um, so that's an interesting. Test So visual leadership, the idea behind it is that who you are and how you lead is inseparable from the lens through which you see the world, right? Our background, our upbringing, our culture, our life experiences. Like in your book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, you talk about how your experience with your father shaped how you view leadership, right? How you view business. Um, You share that personal story and that impacted you. So our life experiences shape the lens through which we see the world and our behaviors and our actions and our decisions and our choices. So that was the idea behind the title. And the fact that when we talk about leadership, we always talk about having a leadership vision. What do you see in the future? Or so-and-so is a visionary leader. So vision and seeing is so much a part, a central metaphor to leadership that that's become the focus of my work. And because I came out of the world of literature and television, which are visual mediums, visual language and visual imagery, That's that was so much a part of who I was and how I thought that um, my techniques of using visual thinking and metaphor and storytelling and imagery was central to what I did and how I did it. So, and also the subtitle, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life, it, it's not just a management book, it's really a life skills book. Because, you know, even if you... Don't have direct reports. You're still leading your own life, right? You are still a leader of you, right? So that's a key thing to keep in mind. Some people may say, because even my mother said, oh, "I loved your book. I was laughing. I loved reading it." And she thought, "Oh, I thought it was going to be just a business book, and it was, really was uh, a book of stories that anyone could relate to."
1: Yeah, it really is. And um, it, it, but you know, it's interesting. The you just I did notice the one L because I'm just a terrible speller and. Uh. Uh, I I noticed, oh, hey, is that the way it's supposed to be? But no, it was kind of cool. Mm. Um, And and that made it visual. I could see your book. Every time I think of visual, I think I see your book. Uh, You know, what was really cool that I took away, though, uh, as I was reading this, I said, wow, I said, here I have a thought. And I know that thought. No one's in my head yet, but I Mm -hmm. could see it, right? Just like you said. But the visual part of it to me, Todd, was... This is the way I get my thought, which might be complicated or simple, to someone who will understand what I'm thinking, what I'm seeing better.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like how do you get that picture out of your head into someone else's? That's one of the hardest and most challenging things in life when someone says don't you get it don't you just see what i'm saying it's like no i don't right so it, and it could be a spouse a child a boss it doesn't matter it's like one of the hardest things in life is is communication right and this this is about how do i use these visual techniques to communicate more effectively. And also to formulate your own thoughts, right? Sometimes our vision of something is fuzzy. It's like, how do we communicate it clearly if we don't see it clearly? You know, when people say, oh, I know what I'm talking about, I just can't explain it. Then maybe you're not that clear about it, right? If you can't explain it that well.
1: Well, it's like um, uh, when I first started reading it, uh, I have uh, people would always ask me, what do you do now in your private practice when you consult with business owners? And I do so much, but Mm -hmm. how do you communicate and keep it simple? And that's why when I read your book in the beginning, and I said, ah, now I know I knew how to present what I do. And I sent to you my little video thing, which was really the first draft. It was supposed to be very simple. But as I was doing that, it was all based on what I had been reading and saying, now they get it. It's very easy to understand what I do because it was handwritten. It was it was just like a sketch on a napkin, like you said. Yeah.
2: yeah, and, That was a I, great example. That was a great example.
1: Well, I did that purposely just to do it quickly to see how quickly I could do it and how accurately now I'm going to do another phase. But it was reading your book that allowed me to start thinking more in depth. I've, I've always thought I was a thinker in depth in communicating, but The more I looked at and read about what you were doing and communicating, I got the aha. That's what I meant before when I got the aha. Mm. And those visuals do make a difference because a lot of people just can't listen and hear it and and understand it. They have to see, read it, see it, cartoon it, whatever you want to do, but they've got to visualize it.
2: Yeah, yeah. One, I, I just recently wrote uh, a couple of months ago my first article for Ink Magazine, and it's called Can You Draw What Your Company Does? And it's based on an exercise I do with some of my clients where they literally have to get up in a flip chart or whiteboard or a big piece of paper and sketch out. in you know what, Even if it's stick figures, it doesn't matter. It's not a test of your drawing skills. It's a test of your ability to conceptualize visually what you do so that other people can can see it. And uh, I won't give away, if you just Google, can you draw what your company does? And Ink Magazine, you'll find my, my piece. But, um, you know, it's very eye-opening metaphor. Uh, to say, hey, yeah, I thought people are not mind readers. I think that's one of the key messages. We always say, oh, it's so clear in my head. Why don't they see it? It's because they're not a mind reader, right? They don't have that same image because they're seeing the world through a different lens. And one thing we didn't mention about just the book cover alone, you could talk about an hour just on the book cover, the rainbow colored eye on the cover of the book, the rainbow represents diversity and inclusion and the fact that no one in the world, just as no one in the world has this rainbow colored eye, no one in the world sees the world through the same lens that you do. Right, So even if you're twins, like my father and my uncle were twins, um, they were very different. They saw the world very differently. And that's what the rainbow represents. It also represents innovation and creativity and the fact that we need to use all the colors of the rainbow to paint a picture so that people can understand what we're saying. So, um, And the other concept is what I call flipping the eye, which is turning that eye on yourself, looking internally at who you are, what you believe, how you see the world and trying to see the world through the lens of other people with empathy and compassion, people who are different from you. And that's pretty much everyone, right? So I think that's a big part of leadership too, is seeing the world through the lens of the people that you lead. Do
1: you think um, when people are thinking about something whether uh, to communicate something, do you think most people think visually as they're conjuring up All the little elements of their communication in their mind.
2: I think they do. They just you're not just not aware of it that you are doing it. It's like, for example, if you wake up in the morning and you had a dream last night, that was visual thinking. If you picture how is my day going to unfold, what am I wearing today, what you know, what am I having for lunch, you're using visual thinking. If you if you have dreams and aspirations for the future, like this, your picture of the you know. I know the beach is important to you. Like if you have a picture of sitting on the beach someday, that's an image in your mind, right? So whether it's past, present or future, we're not aware of the fact that we have a mental movie running through our minds all the time, but with visual leadership, the idea is be more aware of it. So you could be more strategic about it, right? You can only make your vision a reality if you take certain actions, but if you don't have a vision or a picture, then, um, you, you may not achieve your goals or objectives. If you're not clear on what they even are, um, reminds me of the quote from Alice in Wonderland, where she's lost and she says, which way should I go? And I think, I forget who it is, the Mad Hatter or the Cheshire Cat says, where are you trying to get to? And she says, well, I don't really care. And then he says, well, I, then it doesn't really matter which way you go, right? Yeah. So if yeah. you don't have a goal or a vision of the future, then it doesn't matter which way you go. And then you may not, you know, may look back later on and say, why didn't I have a more clear path. I know you talk about that in your book a lot, right? If you do have a picture of the future, then when you get to the future, you know, you may be missing a lot of things that you'll regret saying, oh, I should have thought about that 10 or 20 years ago.
1: Well, you know, visualization is such an important part uh, uh, of you, where you're going to end up because it's like Dr. Maltz's Book on psycho cybernetics. Uh, uh, the idea is I have a, a vision where I want to be, mm-hmm. and, I, and I picture a torpedo always moving in the water, trying to readjust because that's what life's all about. Mm. We get things thrown in front of us, and we've got it to go to the left or right. So, whenever I think about visualization, I think of that torpedo, but it keeps me on target. And you know, here's another thing, too, Todd. Um, and, and why I bring it up to the audience is recently, or maybe the last couple of years, you would see in an advertisement where someone's trying to make a point and there's a hand with a pencil on a whiteboard and they're drawing as they're talking. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, boy, that's one of the most effective ways of communicating what your thought and what you're trying to communicate to the client. So in other words, I'm I'm really saying you're you're really onto to the visualization through um, what you use in your book, um, uh, the tools that you use.
2: Yeah, yeah, so it's a combination of communicating. you could communicate visually auditorially just through your words it doesn't always have to be through the physical eye because just as you were describing that torpedo I was picturing it in my head right so I'm not looking at a torpedo I know what it looks like so even as you're describing it I'm like wow that's a visual metaphor that paints a really clear picture of what you're talking about
1: yeah no it's a great example so how did um, visual thinking become the focus of your work
2: well, like i said a background literature television film business um theme park business so it's just a big part of the storytelling. You know, stories have beginnings, middles, and ends. Stories have victims, villains, and heroes. Stories have a quest or a goal, and there are obstacles and barriers in the way. So I always thought about, you know, life is a story. And again, it's a. I come out of a visual medium. So if you take the visual mediums that I worked and thought in and applied it to the world of management and leadership, it was just a clear. In fact, if you picture a Venn diagram. Visual leadership is one circle, management leadership is the other, and visual leadership exists at the intersection of visual thinking. So there's a lot of stuff out there around design thinking and visual thinking, and it's mainly like people in the art world and people who are designers, but very few people who are just traditional business managers think about applying that if that's not in their business. They may say, oh, I'm in manufacturing or I'm in insurance or whatever. How does this apply to me? But if you think about it and, you know, after reading the book or talking about it, you say, oh, I do do this already. I do think in this way. So I break it down to four categories, use of visual imagery, which includes drawing, use of mental models and frameworks, which could be like a four box matrix or a step ladder or some kind of conceptual diagram or an organizational chart, use of metaphor and analogy and use of storytelling. So um, they don't exist in isolation. I talk about all of them in my book, but when they're used in combination, you can have a mental model and then explain it with a story, or you can have a metaphor and then um, create an image based on that metaphor, right? So they overlap and intersect, and when used in combination, they're even more powerful, but that's uh, that's basically the foundation. Um, and uh, again, it, it comes naturally. I wouldn't say naturally to me, because it's kind of evolved over the years, but it so resonated with people that that became the center point of my work. Because I felt found that when I was doing training and coaching and teaching, that when you use imagery, it just, again, that's why a picture is worth a thousand words. That's why that expression exists in every single language. So um, a lot of my students are graduate. My graduate students are from different countries. So if I'm teaching a 25-year-old female from China, if I use, say, a Yankees baseball analogy, it's not going to resonate with her. So I may think, all right, what would she relate to? What's a story that would grasp her attention that she'll understand. So you want to put yourself in the shoes, which is a metaphor of your audience and say, all right, how can I communicate with them by speaking their language? And when you use visual language, um, so for example, like nature is universal, right? So if I say, you know, we need to plant the seed for an idea, go out on a limb, let's see what bears fruit, let's get to the root of the problem. You know, I just use all these metaphors from common language. I come from trees and nature, but anyone can get exactly what I'm talking about. So we need to be more consciously aware, more strategic in terms of how we express our ideas so that our audience and listeners can understand them and it resonates with them.
1: You also used um, in chapter 12, I love I loved this, and it resonated with me, was the, the future self, the two questions. Mm. Um, do things today that your future self will thank you for, And then it was don't do things today that your future self will blame you for. And I read that and I looked at it and I started smiling. I said, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the right shoulder, left shoulder, (laughs) it's a devil. And I said, that's, (laughs) and but I use it because whenever I want to grab another piece of chocolate, I I focus Ah. a little bit more so, or whatever, you know, or not doing something I should do. So, a little things like that, even though it wasn't visual, reading it and seeing it had an impact on me. Um oh, there were there were quite a few so far that I had to write down the uh the feel the feel back, um uh the, the feedback sandwich, mm-hmm. uh, the future you. I'm just talking about the thirty uh million nap thirty dollar million napkin, the ABC decision. All great stuff that yeah, all good stuff. And um uh, you did a great job i I scanned the rest of the book but I, so I don't want to talk about uh, that right now but um, someday we should do a segment on one of the chapters Todd I'd love to do that
2: that would be great yeah, be- one of the stories just to just to, that really tends to resonate with people is the one called um how my cardiologist almost gave me a heart attack that comes later in the book and long story short I had my routine heart exams and everything in the I had a young cardiologist filling in for mine. He came in and said, based on your numbers, you have a 5% chance of having a heart attack within the next 10 years. I literally almost fainted right there. So I figured that, you know, he's giving me this death sentence. And then I said, wait a minute, doesn't that mean there's a 95% chance that I won't? And he said, yeah, that's another way of looking at it. So I was like, oh, uh, yeah, you think so? Because uh, <laughs> so-, so- so the information he gave me was not inaccurate, but was that the message he meant to convey? Definitely not, because my, my test results were perfect for a 50-something-year-old male, right? So that, that comes up, in, you know, imagine leadership, we communicate numbers a lot, but numbers are meaningless outside of the context and the story that that, that they're intended to tell. So people love that story. Cause it really, you know, resonates with them. Um, it wasn't so funny at the time again, but it just shows that how you can take information that's factually true, but if you don't position it in the right way, you're not going to get your message across that you'd like to.
1: It's, it's like the, uh, the teenager who snuck out at night and they, she got caught by her parents and, um, she starts the story. I wanna tell you it's something that's gonna be hard for everybody in life. We're gonna have to uh, make adjustments. And her parents are thinking, oh my God, she's pregnant at 17. And then she said, I I can't sneak out at night anymore. (laughs) And the parents Mm said, oh, this is great, right? Um, How can business professionals incorporate visual thinking and visual communication into their work and their lives?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways. Again, be aware of you know, can you know, pictures worth a thousand words, right? So instead of just explaining something verbally, can you show someone something? It's like for my my wife and I are looking to put a patio in the backyard here. We live in Fairfield, Connecticut. And, you know, people are describing this tile and that tile and this concrete and all these different things. It's like, until you see a sample of it, you have no idea what they're talking about, right? Um, if if we're just saying, well, we want it to be kind of like this, kind of like this, sketch it out. Like, here's our house. Here's the shape of the patio. We want the rounded corners. This is where we're going to put the barbecue. This we're going to put the, the, the picnic table. Then it's like, okay, I could see it. Now we're communicating, right? But if they're just, Naming stones and 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 textures and everything, and we're just describing something. We're wasting so much time. So if we come in with a sketch and they come in with samples, boom, we can get our ideas across, right? So what's the equivalent of that in your business, right? So that's one way. Is can you use visual imagery? Can you, you know, even if you have ICD, which is I, I can't draw syndrome, you could still, if you can play Pictionary with your kids or with you know friends and family, you could pick up a pen or pencil and just sketch something out, right? And just even if it's very rough. And so people could say, okay, now I know what you're talking about. Then you can move things around. Then you can ask questions. So that's one way is using visual imagery. Models. Is there a model that can visually represent what you're talking about? People want to see a sample or, again, is this more of a triangle, a circle, or a square? You know, what what is this? What does this shape look like? You know, the metaphors we choose and use, those we could use more purposefully. And storytelling, instead of just saying to someone, you should do this or that, if you say, hey, let me tell you about a story like you did in your book. You told a story about your father and everything. That is what motivated you to go into doing what you're doing, to help other people so they wouldn't go through a similar kind of thing, right? So stories are so impactful and moving and emotional and human that these are all different techniques we can use. And even the title of your book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, you use DNA. It's a metaphor, right? We're not literally talking about the DNA of a body, it's the DNA of your business, right? So we use these things all the time, but we don't really think about it. So if you think about it with greater conscious awareness, then you could be more effective at it. I think that's the bottom line.
1: Yeah, and 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 that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of professions, um, it's like, and you mentioned contractors and, um, I'm going to use them as an example. They're certainly not the only one. They talk in terms of their industry lingo and people don't understand the yeah. lingo. they really need to break it down to understand. And we know what happens when you don't understand something. Uh, you, that's when you get, I'll have to think it over Right that kind of thing, you know?
2: Yeah, every business has its jargon, its acronyms. And they say, well, do you want Unilock or, or Paverstones or, or this Nico lock?" It's like they're just throwing around this terminology that they use every day and we have no idea what they're talking about. So how are we supposed to make a decision? And there's a great book and TED Talk um, called The Paradox of Choice. When you give people too many options, they don't choose any. They get right. paralyzed by indecision. So, And one of the classic examples, if you have a cheap wine, a medium price wine, a really expensive wine, 80% of people are going to buy the middle one, right? It's just human nature. It's like, you don't want to be cheap, and we can't afford the expensive one. This one's good enough, right? But if you give people 50 choices, they don't even know where to start, and they may just walk out, right? So- even something like that, how could you simplify the complexity of your business so that your customers can make better choices and, and better decisions? So a big part of whatever business you're in, you're still in the communications business, right? You still need to influence and persuade, but you also want to create understanding because a happy customer is going to be one who feels like their needs and expectations were met and they will won't be if they don't really understand what options are available to them or what choices to make.
1: I have a. This is my last question to you, and then I'll sum it up. But I'm I'm curious, and I may ask the wrong question here. But are you being asked in your coaching to help salespeople design their powerpoints and their presentations specifically?
2: There are times I do that, I and mean, well, part of this is conceptually, like what would be, because so many people are still doing the death by bullet point thing, right? You put up all your information on a bullet point slide, and then you end up reading off the slide, and it's boring and it's torturous, and you lose people. But can use an image instead. Can use a visual. Can use a metaphor. So sometimes a picture or image is literal, like here's a picture of what this patio looks like, and other times something's a metaphor. You put a picture of a, you know, a star or a beach or a frog or whatever, because that. Metaphor represents the concept you're talking about. So, yes, I help people create conceptually and then I help them to create better slides so that they could communicate more effectively. Because, again, it's most people don't do it well because, like anything, it's a skill that they are not, you know, if you're an insurance person, you're not trained in PowerPoint design, right? That's not your skill set. So, you could outsource that to someone who is, or you can. You know, talk to someone and say, all right, what, what's a better way to visually communicate what we're trying to talk about here? Now, if you're selling something like construction, like you know, you could physically show someone a sample, but when you're selling the invisible, insurance or um, you know, other examples of things that are intangible, that's more challenging because people can't physically see it, they can't hold it, they can't touch it. Um, but how do you conceptually represent it so that people understand what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And over the years, I've talked to many people about that, because any way you look at it, how you communicate makes all the difference in the world of your success uh, in, in the future and uh, where you are as a person or where you're going as a person. Mm-hmm. Todd, um, I'm going to summarize. Uh, first of all, I'm going to tell the audience, um, if if you're in any contact with people and you need to communicate, which is pretty much everybody. Huh, yeah. This is this is the book you have to read. This is a great book. Uh, it's uh, Todd's a great author. You're a very very good writer, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I say that because I'm enjoying this book. I mean, I've enjoyed huh. a lot of books, but I, I don't read as many as Todd does, and no nowhere near what he does. But this is a well written book, and because I am a professional and I communicate with people it means a lot more. And you did such a great job in every chapter. Uh, You've kept the chapter short, so you can read a chapter a day in a couple of minutes, walk away with something, there's always something to learn. So you did a great job.
2: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that.
1: And I I would like to, I'm going to put everything in the show notes, uh, where you can contact uh, Todd, uh, get his book and all that stuff. So we don't need to go through that, Todd. But I'll put it in there, and that's where you'll find all this stuff. Todd, is there anything that you would like to end on this note uh, on this show? A uh, comment or anything?
2: Uh, well, one quote I always use uh, is from Bernard Baruch that the ability to an express the ability to express an idea is as important as the idea itself. So if we can't get our ideas across clearly. Um, then the idea itself is not going to see the light of day, for uh, for lack of a better metaphor. So oops, sorry about that. Um, so that's the key thing is if you can figure out a way to get your get people to see what you're saying, you're going to be more effective, more successful, and they will be as customers or clients or co-workers or employees, they will be happier and more successful as well.
1: Todd, uh, thank you for giving us time.
2: Thomas, thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it.
1: Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, click a like. Uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us, please email me at tperone. that's P-E-R-R-O-N-E, at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner, or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take one subscribe to this podcast to request a free copy of tom's newly published book unlocking your business dna email tom at t at com and on the subject line type dna include your mailing address and thirdly take the one minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning email t Perone at necgginc.com and request scorecard for additional information click the show notes